All right. Welcome to another episode. Uh, joining me today, Simon. Simon, can you tell us a little more about yourself, how you get started, what you're up to? We press the record button this time. It should be a lot better. Okay, very good. Thank you for having me, uh, Brian. <laughs> anyway, um, really, uh, looking, I look forward to this because I get to speak to someone that kind of gets the space in a similar way that I do, space of retail, space of business, space of market. Uh, I've been in business for about 35 years. It's uh, it's kind of awesome to think about because we're a privately held company in New York uh, and have worked uh, over the years with almost every uh, iconic brand out there. Uh, I shouldn't say every, but most of them. Harley Davidson, Brooks Brothers, Timberland, uh, uh, many, many others, Levi's and what have you, creating brands and positioning brands for the future. And it's always positioning brands for, for future growth and, and realizing the value of what they have. Lots of people working in the organization. And it's a big bet to put your name out there and decide what you're going to be. So our mission is always to put the best foot forward and creating a genuine purposeful position. And that is a science in and of itself, science, art, intuition. But we have developed a rigorous methodology that's really powerful that I believe is the way to do anything and everything, especially. Um, and, I, and now I'd like to pass it on to younger people that are about to embark on a journey of career. Uh, so we have three divisions to our business. We have the brand positioning business that um, demonstrates physically when you walk into the room, you get to see your brand come to life and you get to see your future. So we envision the brand's vision of tomorrow today. And I can go a little deeper into how we do this and what that actually means. But um, we love that. And that's the core business, and that's what we thrive on, and we embrace the whole company and work in reflecting one core proposition that's ownable um, and aligned with a market opportunity and is executable. Those are the sort of the pillars, the foundations of how we do things. And when we, just to unpack it a little bit, we look at a variety of different industries in order to see what is emerging at the very beginning stages. So when we make a case for the brand, it is from real um, experience, and we put that up physically on one side of the room. We do everything physically, even digital stuff, because you get to live with it a little bit. A day is a very long time when you have to look at yourself look at the situation. Otherwise, it's in the drawer, and yeah, yeah, it sounded good. But you get to see that. It's a case that's being made with doorways and pathways, and everything is pictures. And on the other side of the room is the vision of a said company, the mission of it, the purpose, the goals, and it comes to life physically. So we, and every business consists of similar areas, communication, products, uh, environments, at this point, websites, 
digital. So we cobble all that together and you can't hide from it. You can't hide from the case and you can't hide from the vision. So you get to come in and get to really breathe it in. No, no um, decks are being, we create decks and so forth, but it's an experience. So that is very powerful because it is not reacting to short-term trends. And that's increasingly more challenging because everything is short-term. And what is long-term? And what does that mean? And things are moving very, very fast now. Um, Emma, there are some opportunities and then the, there is problems. I'd like to touch on that as well. The other division of our business is um, really transferring the value of a brand into another category. It's through licensing, partnering, and collaboration. So when we see an opportunity to do that, we strategically embrace that opportunity. Like we work with Terry Bradshaw as an example, and we build a brand around him. He's an icon, American, and it's the only American, it's an American idea that bridges the gap and the political divide, and we're getting divided in all kinds of different ways now, which is a real concern to me. Um, so that's the second division of our business. The third division is more entrepreneurial, where we are um, venturing and venturing different uh, um, ideas, different brands, and that allows us to sort of fuel the creative entrepreneurial drive to our business. Um, so that those are that's what my business consists of. And people that are in the business in in our operation are people that had real life experiences. And not necessarily set up in the same way. Everyone works on everything. So the most important thing for us is positioning of a brand and giving it direction. Then all the design and all the reality that's shaped has a real clear vision of real clear direction. And that it's kind of obvious, but it's not so much in most companies and most agencies and most situations. Uh, you know, uh, we take responsibility for the positioning and the and and the vision that established for tomorrow, uh, and that way the designers are empowered. Uh, so it it really uh, economizes economizes time tremendously. You were going to ask. Yeah, I was going to ask because it it really seems to be that you are breathing life into a brand. The brand again becomes like a living thing. Yeah, and I know that's that's for folks like you and I. That's an easy conversation to have, but for a lot of marketers, they're handed a brand that is you know uh, stillborn, for lack of a better way to say it. It's not living. It's not interacting in the market space. How do you go through that process to bring that to life in a way? that uh, will help the the owners, the leaders in charge, um, really bring that brand concept back to the team? That's a good, good question. Um, there are four areas of discovery that are very important. And it's not us, it's really for everyone to understand. It's, 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 
you can do this. Anyone can do this. It just takes patience, time, and spending more time in a space of uncertainty and not be afraid of it and be in the silent mode so you can receive things and go through a lot of crap in order to find the nuggets of gold to be able to put up there, then curate all of that. So it is a uh, product of endurance. We look at socioeconomic, cultural environment, uh, consumer, in order to understand consumer sentiment. Now, I, I live in this world, so I sort of, I know, why do I have to do that? It's, it, and it's important for that to be done over and over again, because you realize it fresh on you when you do it the first when you do it again and things pop out so habituation of any of that is a is a bad idea where you're set in your ways you're set in your convictions and then all of a sudden you're wrong so it's good to look at this innocently like a babe just kind of with starry-eyed eyes and wonder what is going on out there and it's like taking a peek into the world we live in so the first bucket is socioeconomic cultural environment. The second one is the industry you may be working and adjacent industries and completely different industries. So when we take a peek into all these areas, they begin to see commonalities and connections. And that gives us a great deal of insight and confidence. And insight is the operative word because it isn't opinion, it's insight. Insight means you just wake awake to it and you, um, uh, and you go, oh, yeah, oh, aha, I knew that, but I never realized that. And it's th we look for moments like that, and they're really powerful. So the second bucket is the industries. The third bucket, it, what is the perceptual truth of the brand? Not what opinion on it is internally in an organization and debating about it in a vacuum. Even if you have data, it's just dry and arid. It's not really, it's not alive. So the perceptual truth of the brand is really important. And it's a task and a half because if it is a big brand, you want to you wanna know what it stands for. You want to know what it feels like. You want... It's an organism. It's a living thing. It's an, the product. In, and it's the only thing that sustains everything. So the brand value and equity has to be understood. And it's, you have to kind of confront the truth. So the perceptual truth of the brand is the third bucket. So we have marketplace, socioeconomic, cultural environment consumer sentiment, the industries in order to see what is emerging and what's going on out there. You have the perceptual truth of the brand. Then you've got to size up the organization. What are their sweet spots of executionary talent? What can't they do? What are they asleep at the wheel at? And that's kind of a top-line perspective in order to then do do it and when you look at these buckets you develop doorways in order to say well we should be looking into um 
um, appliances when we do apparel. We should be looking at this. And then what are the areas? So there's a bit of a organized structure, but then we do the discovery. Early on in the days, we looked at magazines because that's all there was. And I always love the uh, example. If you pile, if you have a magazine stack this high and you have an empty room and you have quiet, and with a little bit of good music, like classical music playing there, or maybe some other kind that is fitting. And you, you're rested and you feel awake. When you go through the magazines, each page should be looked at, but not analyzed. Never opinionized. Never get involved with. You let things... And I guarantee that by the time you finish going through those magazines that are diverse, considering many different things, that you're going to have the positioning idea of what the brand should be. It's an amazing thing because it's all out there. The world is our oyster. So you just have to expose your eyes and your mind to what the world is in, in a capsuled way. Um, so when we do that, then when I say everybody works on everything, it's really true. Um, what comes first is positioning, opportunities and direction for a brand that gets us motivated, confident, and we, that, that's the most important thing. And the direction is the aesthetic and design and everything that it takes to develop. So then when it moves to the designer, when it moves to all the departments that execute, then these, no one has to rethink, reinvent the wheel in the sense that they are all clear. Then the work is incredible because they do not have to search for the the vision to draw to guide them and oftentimes the designers are looked to create the vision when there is none or it just happens to be try this do this and time goes by very fast so we accomplish in three four months what it takes years for companies to do and it's really important and most companies don't consider that as the as 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 a need, really, they do it as a part time, as a, but that's what CEOs get hired for. They get paid money that is significant because they they're supposed to be pointing the direction of where to go, and getting everybody on that page. The problem is most CEOs of most companies are operating the business. They're in the operational mode in the smaller picture, so they are as lost and out of touch. As in, I often say, get out of the corner office, put the brand in there and face the truth, and, and then everyone can refresh themselves in the vision of tomorrow, today. So that is an exercise. So we look for people that uh, and I mentioned this to you uh, before this, the, 
that are really comfortable not knowing something. Because in order to know something, you first have to not know something. In order to uh, uh, discover anything, your mind has to be empty. Because if you preoccupied or if you are already pre-driven by something, you will look to validate everything you think about. So then what happens is they are shorter-term trends because what you think about is only the past. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, now it costs more money to do this in one sense. In another sense, it's far more economical when you go up front through the foundational process. Right. And I encourage all companies to do this. I encourage for for high school graduates to do this for themselves. Scrapbook, scrapbook your future. Work, dedicate a space, a company to this vision-like exercise. Get mm -hmm. confused. It's good for you. Get insecure. Get get so that you do not have to be a professional, knowledgeable person, but be lost first in order to be found. So that is a process that yields tremendous results. Along the way, opportunities pop up, and that's where the real nuggets of powerful opportunities for that are unexpected for brands. For As you do one thing, you get another thing. You get prizes. You get prizes because you did not look to, you're, you're not looking to validate something. So, so that's a I, method that we employ. I, I want to ask a question about that. And, and this is, um, as these things emerge and these opportunities come out, um, how do you evaluate them against each other? Because I think there's a fair amount of that where, your preconceived notions might creep in or you might be chasing novelty or you might be, oh, that'd be cool, but it doesn't necessarily speak to the real truth. How do you evaluate those opportunities as they emerge and determine which ones you explore? Well, one of the things that we take a lot of confidence in is when there's different industries um, that have similar emerging opportunities that are, yeah, so that's one point of confidence. Um, but there is everything, everything is points to what points to the way. And when you do this and do it physically in order to curate, we use the process of negation. And what that means, we're happy to say, oh, that's no good, oh, that's no good. So there is never any defense what we initially thought. We post, organize, and then by virtue of that, Things go out, things get removed. And then what is left wasn't even thought about, but it's the shining bright star. Ah, it's like a survivorship bias, right? That's that that's that's great. That's 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 great way of putting it. Now obviously I'm gliding over the surface because to get deeper, you know, it, it takes it, it takes a lot. I'll, I'll give you an example. We did this. With, I remember working with Levi's when we were creating a new brand uh, for them. And we the brand was for emerging markets. So, so everyone can participate in getting this iconic brand, even though they cannot afford it. So the first thing was, and that was a good 
it's an it's an iconic brand that is authentic that has legacy to it. So when we as one of the things we had to do is come up with a name, and it's applicable to stores, wholesale, all kinds of different business models. And we had pathways that we were looking for names, you know. So it was a, and then out of the blue, after putting a lot of work to it and not being satisfied, we moved to another area, which is another feature that's very important. Never obsess. Let go and move on. Let go and move on and come back. Let go, move on. When you have it physically yeah. in front of you, you can't hide away from it. You can't just make a decision. No, never just make a decision. Decisions make themselves. When they are made, they made themselves. So you never have to worry about making a decision. You just have a timeline, and you know your goal, and you have the faith that you're going to get there, as long as you're organized, as long as yeah. you give it considerable. So when we did that, a name popped out of nowhere as in the process, and it was called Denizen, citizen of the world. That's what it means. And we were lucky enough to be able to get it. It was available. But we had about a thousand different names. None of them sat right. Wasn't there. Wasn't there. Wasn't there. But we were not discouraged or impatient. Yeah. We just let it go and move to a different area. We just keep recycling our movements to stay in momentum. Because you have to stay in momentum while being still. Being yeah. still in the mind, moving from one thing to another, one thing to another, and having the faith and confidence that if you do the work, if you go through the process, you're going to get there. And so emotional uh, strength is very important. And that's another that's another thing that that I could talk about, time management and things like that. But anyway, that's the process, and there is more to it. Obviously, each time you ask me the same question, I'll come up. With <laughs> <laughs> Different layers, right? Okay, with that, this. I don't want to. I don't want to overdo it either. Yeah, you spoke to um, something that I think is near and dear to a lot of folks, um, I, and it speaks to my personal experience as well. Um, uh, and I'll, I'll relay a quick uh kind of story the um i was a younger man trying to fix you know an engine or my brakes or something like that on my car and uh i was just frustrated i was ready to just wail on everything with a wrench uh because i was upset um and my father brilliantly at the time said look walk away <laughs> you have to walk away because you're too close basically to the problem you can't see it anymore and so when you talk about that, um, that, that quality of being able to um, stay in the space without getting mired in the answers, it's the same thing. And I think as, as marketers and brand you know, professionals that are doing this, it's, it's real easy to, to get stuck to the solutions we think we're making. But you pointed out very clearly that the, deci the, design, the decisions make themselves. 
And, and I, I, you know, that balance and how you navigate through that part of the interior, interior landscape, I think is outrageously important to help folks understand. Um, there is magic there. Um, and I'm an, I'm not a magic guy. Right. But there is something about that process where you have to know when to let it kind of emerge and let it be, um, you know, it's it's the secret sauce in all the songs. It's the it is the, the uh, experience. Yeah, exactly. So how do you differentiate those from the fake aha experiences? <laughs> Uh, you, you can't take that. That's the that's the beauty of an aha experience. When you glean, when you notice, yeah. When you um, when when you it happens automatically without any thought. So when you think, you know you're in the way. Now it's this process, this methodology, this idea. Yeah is and you the, the car thing was a great example but what happens in real life is we think it's a philosophy that is nice to read about not applicable to real life because in real life you have to work hard yeah yeah just keep at it you have to you know if you work an extra hour you feel better yeah or, yeah so that's the way the country, that's our ethic, that's our good work, that's our, but it's tearing the country apart in the sense of um, some of the most brilliant minds uh, are, 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 are lost. They're not, some of the taxi drivers are, that I've had conversations with are superior in their cognition capability. So yeah. you've got untapped reservoir of intelligence that 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 is wasted. So that's that's getting a little dramatic. But my point about that is that I put the philosophy and the methodology. It actually works in business, and I've done it for thirty five years. And each so, time, I'm surprised. And when you're you surprised, you know it's it's genuine. Uh, uh, and, and, and so the biggest thing is to not to get in the way, not to ever get in the way or get take credit. I notice that whenever I uh, show up or never I say, oh, look at my idea. Immediately something stops. <laughs> I have to be as as surprised by it or as a or, or enthused by it without owning it so it is not easy and no one teaches you that yeah. no one tells you how to operate in, in real world where there is all kinds of pressures and anxieties and bosses and so we so I, I, I you know we made a business out of it I, I'm over I'm over talking I'm sorry I but no, this is, but, you know, I, I, I know exactly what you mean. The, the attachment to the outcomes there, um, it's, it's a lot of it becomes an identity attachment. And that's where the real mess happens. 
like the car is fixed. I didn't fix it. I was present for it getting fixed. But in many ways, the 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 solution was emergent. And and can you claim credit for any of that? Right? It could have been the weather. It could have been yeah. any of the things. Right? You could say if you, break it, if you break things down, yeah. then um, break it down enough, and you you can find things. But the moment you think you own a solution, you you're uh, you know, uh, so you can't get attached. But you, you talk said, to the you talk to the right work. And I think that's another part of the conversation that's really uh, important, right? It's it's not simply work harder, because if hard work guaranteed outcomes, the hardest working folks would be the most successful. And that's not quite the the reality, is it? I think the 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 nature of the work that you do and how you do it is just as important as the sort of volume. And so how do you know when you're doing the right work? in this space versus the wrong work, busy work, whatever that might be? Oh, good, good question. It gets me thinking. Uh, most of the time, we're in front of a computer looking at emails twice or three times <laughs> or four times in order to work. Uh, the truth is that there is never any real work real labor there's only things that so that leads to a different time management criteria there's the and, and you may or may not be asking this but there's two types of things we may got to make sure that we are true to ourselves and not compromise that we that that it's it's really important to work on things you enjoy or you have respect for or you find difficult or you need to solve you don't just do work for the sake of work. So that's a byproduct. So there is values that need to be considered um, as well. And when you're under pressure, you compromise on those values. And that's a problem. So everything is against this. Everything is against this. So you have to be a pretty strong individual. So you have to build on strength. Now, I want to make one little thing that everyone can do that is so powerful. And let me try to ex explain it in a very capsuled way. Every morning I wake up, I uh, have a blank page like this. Um, when I'm done in about 15 minutes, sometimes it looks like this. Sometimes it uh, looks, looks like this. But it's always the same. And I've learned that in my life, my buckets, and I'll tell you what those buckets are, call emails, emails back, deals in motion, projects, dates, Peter, which is a special, my controller, opportunity, whatever the buckets are, they don't matter. And you, but they are important. Trigger words is all you need. You don't need to write down all the stuff. But what's, what's so important about this is you look at your life, you look at the world, personal and otherwise, 
And all you need is a couple of pages of things that have to happen. You just write it with one word, and they remind you of the rest. And then you pick out six things that you want to do that day without losing. Because most of the time during the day, half of our attention is spent on what did I forget? And it narrows the ability to relax because you are pre that's pressure. You have to do this. Also, when you do this, you're confronting everything. So I, if I have to, if it's important, if I have to buy a pencil, I'll put that next to take a million dollars and take it out of the It doesn't yeah. matter. There is no valuing anything. Yeah, so yeah. if you do this and get good at it, every day is an empty day where you get to do the thing that needs to be done. And you become a very good steward of your life. So it's not that complicated. The truth is you can only fit so much in. And if one of those things is to rest and consider and contemplate in order to curate, in order to discover, you do that. You put down. You got to do the research. You got to do that. So that's a, that's a very helpful thing to get through the day you know you 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 point out the the part of this which has become axiomatic for me um and that is that structure creates freedom it's the structure of how you decide to curate and manage your activities creates the freedom for you to create and explore it it separates you in a way that allows you that cognitive space to meaningfully do the work because the rest of the, for lack of a way to say, the nonsense is handled. It's, it's, you know, it's resolved before you even start. That's, that's really great. I love the way you said that. The Thanks. Structure <laughs> creates uh, the work. So then I guess the other thing we could touch on if uh, that, that I, cause I am um, bothered by something and I just need to you know, if I was to say, if I was to pick out the one thing that bothers me, is that we are in the middle of a revolution of opportunities. And uh, unfortunately, the, the ones that are able to take advantage of those opportunities are um, the one percenters, the two percent. It's, it's, it's like this. Mm. The rest are very busy every day. Very busy about working, two time, dealing with inflation, dealing with all of that. And I'm just uh, concerned that it's with AI, blockchain. I listed five things that uh, are sort of the changing 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 the world we are living we, we, we are living in um, and it's another it's another revolution um, anyway the you know I I, I think there I, I mean there's say, a ton of AI is number one right now yeah yeah because it is and I noticed that 
um, prompt, um, they call it prompt engineering. Yeah. There's a lot you can get out of it, uh, uh, but you don't know, and it, it is, it needs to be curated, and there's, so there's a lot, but you have to have time. So the, the advancement and investment in those opportunities at the early stages is only a purview of the few. And that's the thing that's, that I'm troubled by. That's, that's what I wanted to say. Um, and I can see very shortly that we're entering an era of legalized slavery. And what I mean by that, in order to live a life that's decent, you're going to have to have your housing, you have to have your food, you're going to have to, because you cannot live unless you work two jobs. And then what will happen if you get all that in order to work? I can see that happen. Yeah. That's from the, from the side of infringement on our freedom, from the side of opportunities. I get very passionate about that. Because the landscape is is all over the place, and there is lots of entrepreneurs that are taking advantage of this marketplace. So there's a lot of good things happening. I don't mean to to paint a dire dire picture, but there is um, that's been um, that's been on my mind. So yeah, I think it's fair. Uh, you know, the the feedback there is always um, from from my perspective, and I've been looking at this stuff now. Uh, I've been, I grew up back when there was rotary phones still. And even now, you know, I've gone all the way through the entire digital revolution. So, um, I think the biggest thing that, um, uh, is, uh, a challenge, right? I'll give you an example, right? They decried the printing press, right? You read the Hunchback of Notre Dame. One of the biggest criticisms in the Hunchback of Notre Dame from the main characters was, you know, printing press is going to kill architecture. Um, and it's true, like every new technology that democratizes information has the potential for abuse. And when we talk about AI, you know, and the who's got access to the tools and the keys, the the nothing has changed. For as much as the tool seems outrageously advanced, nothing has changed because it's not real AI, first off. It's a it's a learning language model in most cases, or it's an image generation model. But there's always um the, those systems and all tools re reward the skill of the wielder and skill of the wielder is an investment that can be made um, by anyone at any level, right? You can pick up a hammer and learn how to use it well. Um, you can pick up, uh, you know, some of these AI, you know, tools and they are, um, they're built in an open way uh, that everyone at current has access to it. Now, if that changes, if you start have, seeing a lot of this stuff behind closed doors or, you know, they, they shut that stuff off, I think there's some real risk and challenge there. But in the, in the initial phases, again, as a tool, um, it, it, the same rules apply, right? How did you get good at the tools and skills, you know? I, I agree with you. Uh, the thing that I'm pointing, I didn't say, I didn't make uh, my point very clearly because I'm sort of in my head about it. But um, <laughs> the, the the problem that I see is investing in these opportunities. Uh, 
the available dollars. So uh, mm. the, the full advantage that the advantage to that is taken is by the by by the very wealthy. Yeah, yeah. the lay people couldn't afford a printing press either. So, <laughs> well, speaking of the printing press, that that was supposed to uh, put the written word in the hands of everyone and change the world. It didn't quite happen that way. So a lot of a, a lot of things that uh, we feel in the moment, you need to sit there. So in the process yeah. and methodology, it's very important to give it three days. Three days in the development are like a year, mm. because everything is you. Everything is fresh. Everything is new. So that's a very good point. But you allow yourself. Yeah. yeah. To, we move and go on. So, um, no, your your points your points your point is a is a good one. I um Simon, I want to thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Um, this has been uh, just delightful uh, on my end. So, I, hopefully, the listeners have a similar experience. Um, is there any um, uh, anything you'd like to leave us with in terms of um, who should reach out to you, how they should do so? um you know what that connection might look like um well thank you for that but uh, uh it's a pleasure being with you i really enjoy that I forgot this was a podcast <laughs> uh, but uh you, they can reach out uh, it's graham gustafson you can uh, you can check us out on our website and um um you can uh, so you can re reach out to us we're located in new york city and uh, uh, if, if you'd like to get in touch with me, it's Simon G at ggny.com. GGNY stands for Graham Gustafson, which is the name of, name of the company. Um, so uh, uh, thank you. I like it. Thank you so much. Hey, you. Yes, you. It's uh, 2024 and you don't have a podcast yet or maybe you do, but you're struggling with it. Uh, we will talk to you about that uh, for free. We'll help you figure out uh, where you might be stuck, uh, whether or not we can help you for sure. But also, uh, if you don't have one yet, what are the like first five things you can do? Uh, what are some great angles that you can use to make sure that your podcast was sustainable as you start to develop that moving forward? Uh, those consults are free. So reach out at the link below uh, in the show notes or email me at brian at podcastchef.com. Thanks. Hi, this is Brian. Thanks for listening to the show. Uh, our website, podcastchef.com, has a ton of useful information about how to best leverage podcasting to help you solve some of your business goals and challenges. You can also schedule a demo uh, where we can show you how specifically Podcast Chef and our team can help you with some of your podcasting goals. Thanks.